Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron, and climate change is all in the news. It's a hot topic because the planet's climate is changing faster than ever predicted. Some people are denying that it's warming. Some people are saying that it's warming too fast. Some people deny the cause is us, people. And what some don't know is blockchain could pose an incentive for companies, governments, and individuals to reduce their carbon output. And to tell us all about Climate Change 101 and the solutions that possibly exist in the blockchain technology is Mr. Chris Round. And we're going to walk through what is climate change, what are the problems, what are the solutions, what are the facts, and how blockchain could help. But before we get into that conversation, please go to the Crypto 101 Facebook group. There you can enter to win a lot of prizes from company swag to Crypto 101 books to Ledger Nano S's or XYO Geominers. You can find the link to our Facebook community on our website at Crypto101Podcast.com. And before the show, please remember that this isn't financial advice, trading advice, or personal advice. Now, without further ado, here is Climate Change 101 and Blockchain Solutions with Mr. Chris Round. We'll see you after the show. Mr. Chris Round, welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Matt, it's really great to speak to you. You too, man. We've been talking about this for a couple of days, and I'm excited to have you on because we're going to be talking about a subject that is big in the news right now, climate change. Mm -hmm. Before we get into <laughs> that, let's learn a little bit about yourself. Can you introduce yourself, sir? Sure. Um, so my name is Chris Round. Um, I'm about to turn 30. I'm originally from Massachusetts. I'm from the United States. I now live in the D.C. area. I initially started off um, close to this field and getting a degree in biology. Um, I did that while I also used to compete at a high level in the sport of judo. So if um, your listeners Google me, that may come up. And I eventually moved out to Indiana. I picked up two master's degrees there, environmental science and public policy analysis. And I'm simultaneously working full time um, as a consultant for the U.S. federal government and for um, the occasional private sector group, and then uh, doing my doctorate. Right on, man. And what, what is your undergrad, your master's, and your doctorate in? So my undergrad is um, in biology, focusing in on environmental biology and ecology. I actually used to study whales and marine mammals. And then one master's is effectively in climate change ecology. So uh, that's looking at things like how climate change impacts natural resources, like forests um, or fisheries. And then my other master's, my other master's actually is much more interesting, believe it or not, because it's actually looking at what's referred to as public policy analysis. Now, mine focused on environmental policy, but we actually covered some interesting stuff um, ranging for, around education and um, economic development, different things. But essentially, it's, a, it's a same, similar analysis you would do in the private sector if you're looking at um, how policy affected your company. But it's looking at, all right, if I put a policy in place, how do I measure whether or not it worked? Mm -hmm. um, so that was really fun. A lot of the same tools used for that, you'll pick up doing an MBA. Um, a lot of people I work with come from similar, come from like an MBA type of background. Mm -hmm. And then my doctorate is in the integration of informa information technology into environmental policy and looking at how that changes um, how environmental policy is both implemented and how it's viewed. Right on, man. Yeah, you know, everybody just gets two, two masters just to hang out with two masters. It's a normal thing, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. No, well, actually, so I picked, I went that route because I was always interested, um, not just in, in science, um, which really is still the thing I, I truly love, but um, the family I grew up in, um, speaking politics was a competitive sport. <laughs> so 
as a result, um, going into public policy and studying that um, just kind of was a natural fit for me because it was a chance to see, okay, you could study all you want, but the question to me um, with science is always, okay, how do you take that scientific knowledge and use it to um, make people's lives better and to improve things? And a lot of those answers actually stop becoming purely scientific answers. Um, those, those scientific answers, you go to science and you figure out, you use it to define the problem and to find solutions. But in terms of when you actually get down to selecting the solutions and figuring out you know, what people will accept for solutions, you actually leave the scientific realm. You, that's when you start to get into things like public policy analysis um, and political philosophy and uh, political psychology. And that, that stuff, um, ironically, for I'm on the autism spectrum. Ironically for that, I was, I've always been sort of interested in people. Um, so that chance to kind of bring all of these fields together has always been really, it was just really intellectually interesting to me. But the issue was, is that I was leaving from coming from a pure science background and going into, you know, going to policy. And to me, that felt a little scary. And I happened to come across the number one program at the times. Actually, you could get both masters for an extra, spending a little extra time in Indiana, mm-hmm. which as a side note, Bloomington, Indiana is actually a really nice place. A lot of good food. That's how I ended up picking up two masters was um, I, I actually got into a few other programs, but that was just like, okay, well, if worst comes to worst, I can always go back to staying strictly in science. You know a place called Evansville, Indiana? I am very aware of Evansville, Indiana. Well, that's, that's where the host of ICO 101 podcast lives, Mr. Aaron Paul. He's in Evansville, Indiana, and he is also very much into BJJ. I think that you not only have a triple black belt in judo plus a purple belt in BJJ. Is that correct? Yep. Um, third down judo. And actually, so the reason why I know Evansville is I actually used to go there train Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, there's, um, there's some clubs in and around there. I'm trying to remember if it's the place I'm thinking of. Well, yeah, drop some, yeah, drop some names. Times. Maybe he'll know the place. If I'm thinking of the right place, I'm pretty sure um, I'm pretty sure I trained with Tim Sled while I was there. Um, though Tim might have been in another spot. Derek Jones, I think I'd run into around there. That was just a name that was common in terms of places in the area that there, I knew there was Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. All right, man. Well, he's going to be stoked to hear that. I had to drop it out, give it a shout out to Evansville and Aaron Paul. Now, let's get into the meat of this. A dude with a bachelor's and like a, a grip of master's degrees, I think this might be a little bit too easy for you, but we're going to do this anyway. What is climate change? I know this sounds stupid, but it's a good starting point so we understand what it is, what's the problems that we're going to tackle, and how we could tackle it possibly with the blockchain. Sure, and I'll tell you something. Actually, in fairness, that is, um, that is not a stupid question. That's actually a great question. Let's start off by distinguishing what climate is and what weather is. When I talk about climate, what I'm talking about are the more or less the kind of the abiotic factors. Generally, the average temperature, the average humidity and precipitation in an area over a long period of time. So this might be a regional climate. Like I'm from New England. Um, the regional climate around uh, January involves a lot, um, results in a lot of shoveling. But we can look at a localized area like, say, New England um, or Indiana or Taiwan or bump out to a much larger space. Mm-hmm. So we start talking about more regional or even national level for when we talk about lar- much larger countries. And eventually we start to talk about kind of the global level. So, all right, what's the average temperature for the planet? What's the average precipitation rates in different areas? So that's the difference between, if you think about it, if you remember your basic stats, climate is the average, weather is the noise around the average. It's all those data, it's a lot of times all those data points. So, you know, this is where a common misunderstanding occurs. I could walk out my door one day and say, oh, it's really cold. Well, what about this global warming thing? Well, when I talk about global warming and climate change, and by the way, there 
climate change is a more accurate word to use than global warming. Mm-hmm. The reason is, is because there are actually some areas that could get colder. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But overall, when we say climate change, we're referring to the global average of the planet getting warmer. A lot of times people tend to mix up weather and climate. When we get down to it is the things like average temperature, average precipitation. Cool. All right. And so, does that make sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. So the weather is the noise. And then you take all of that noise and you start averaging it out to temperatures. You start looking at Indiana and Taiwan and China and Singapore. And you figure out what, what the temperature of the world is. And if it's going up or going down, correct? Yep. That's, that's exactly what we're talking about. So it is going up. Yes. Are we sure about that? I had about... Seven months ago, I had somebody on that focuses on global cooling. Is that a thing? So I'm glad you asked this. So it allows me to touch on um, something I mentioned slightly earlier. So here's the deal. We've been aware of the possibility that the planet was going to get warmer since the 1860s. This first became a thing because chemists in the late 19th century, a famous one being Arrhenius, demonstrated that, that there are certain compounds that actually could trap heat. Um, carbon dioxide being one of the clear examples. And it would actually have been positive because around that time, we'd started really to see the increase of the use of fossil fuels. And we're going to focus a little bit in this conversation on fossil fuels, though they are not the only cause of climate change. Um, the reason is, is because those in the audience who ever took organic chemistry will remember when you combust an alkane or carbohydrate, oftentimes what you get back is CO2 and water. And CO2 being one of the primary drivers in terms of gases that can um, trap heat and trap infrared, it's typically considered the main culprit when we talk about climate change. So, but to get to the global cooling thing discussion, um, there was a very brief moment in the 1970s where a very small group of scientists thought that might be going on. It was a brief debate in the scientific community. It was, and in the process of going through that debate, we kind of firmed up. There's already discussions down back in the 1960s in the scientific community that this could be a thing. In fact, um, there are discussions even amongst um, fossil fuel companies that um, the plant may be getting warmer going back that far. And in the process of that brief flashpoint debate around global cooling, we're able to kind of shore up and go, huh, never mind. We think things might be getting a little bit warmer. And then you fast forward forward to say to around 98 actually when i was born um nasa finally sent uh, jim hansen not jim hansen i'm um, dr hansen and different hansons yeah. um, <laughs> the kermit and you know fonz fonzie went down there and well it's not fonzie it's fozzie 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 yes. yes fozzie the bear or the the failed comedian <laughs> but he was sent in 98 to testify in front of the senate and What's funny enough is a lot of the predictions he was talking about at that time, if you actually look at that period, the predictions he was making then, one of the things he talked about, this was coming in two places, was talking about, all right, this is what things will, should look like over the next 20 years. And for the most part, his, his predictions largely lined up. And as over time, our ability to model whole climate has improved. This is actually tied to one of the reasons why blockchain works. It's because of um, the reason why our models have gotten better over time is because computing power has become um, uh, better over time. Mm-hmm. Actually, the underlying math, and I won't get into it because I'll put myself to sleep. Um, the underlying <laughs> math for climate models has been established for a while. And what's really been necessary in order to make them more precise and to get greater levels of granularity has actually been increasing computing power. Because um, these to run these things is very costly in terms of computer power. So to 
address the potential for some cooling effects. So when I say climate change, as I said, I'm talking about an overall average increase. Mm -hmm. There are some areas we think could potentially get colder. A good example, and this would be, it's important to remember that humans are not releasing all of the greenhouse gases um, into the atmosphere. And oh, would you like me to explain what a greenhouse gas is and how that effect works? Absolutely, because that's next on my question. And then with that, tell us about the other contributors to global warming or climate change. If you say it's just not man-made fossil fuels, what are the other guys? All right. What the greenhouse effect is, is there's an air in the atmosphere where, start this off, there's a very good reason why we don't just get fried um, or we don't lose, not not fried, very good reason why we don't just freeze, why the heat that hits the planet from the sun, we actually, the atmosphere traps some of it, which we're thankful for because it allows the planet to be warm enough for us to live and um, for me to go for a brisk run in the DC winter. However, too much is, as always, it's possible to have too much of a good thing. So there are, there's a global, what's referred to as a global carbon cycle. There are different global nutrient and molecule cycles, such as the nitrogen cycle, such as um, the water cycle, if you want to jump back to um, some fifth grade science. But there's a carbon cycle and a lot of things are active in it, such as forests, such as the ocean, volcanoes. Um, there are a lot of natural systems that come into play here. And effectively, what happens in terms of um, human activity, activity has been doing is you had these systems in place and human activity was kind of pushing a little bit on the scale. And the more we release the stronger this greenhouse, it's called the greenhouse effect because these gases are trapping in heat. It starts to get a little stronger. It it takes the mass balance of all these things, the, the balance of where things are moving in their system and puts makes it a little too lopsided, where over time, our own activity is making it warmer. And it's actually because the earth is getting warmer, it's starting to throw some of these other systems out of whack. So a few years ago, you might have heard about this. There are these great permafrost areas in places like Siberia and Alaska and Canada, and some giant holes started showing up. It was big news back in, I think, 2014. And people were wondering, are these holes showing up? And the reason was, is because you had these areas that had been frozen for, you know, in some cases, thousands of years or very long periods of time. And they were starting to warm up. And as they warmed up, um, they started to release all this formerly captured carbon and um, as well as some other things. For example, there was a famous all, case. All of, this formerly um, captured carbon? Previous, yep. Um, so and, and how, how, how is it stuck there? So you have what are called carbon sinks. So we don't want carbon dioxide to go up into the atmosphere as a gas. There are certain things that will trap it. For example, um, a tree... I am capturing carbon. You are captured carbon. Um, carbon dioxide that is at, that is pulled into a solid object or stored somewhere um, is an example of a sink. So these giant permafrost areas, these had large amounts of frozen carbon in the form of things like dead plants and other stuff like that and stuff that otherwise probably would have decomposed had it not frozen. Mm-hmm. And as things warmed up, it became possible for them to start to decompose and that's how you started to see these things rapidly break apart. Actually, one of my doctoral advisors, she did some really cool work um, with people in Siberia. And no one had ever taken, the, not to get too far off track, but no one had ever really taken the time to attempt to classify all of the different kinds of permafrost. And she said that her colleague who, who started to do this was up around 27 last time she checked. Um, just because the different kinds of plants and stuff, it's any ecology nerds listening, it's fun stuff. <laughs> That was some uh, college nerd porn for you right there. 
Yeah, ecology nerds, I meant to say. We're, we're even, even nerdier. We're specifying our, our subjects. <laughs> right. But yeah, so a classic example of a carbon sink is a forest. One of the largest carbon sinks is actually the ocean. One of the running jokes one of my professors in grad school had was, you know, just give the ocean 20,000 years and it'll take care of all of this. We may not be around, but the ocean will take care of it. But because it's just such a long time scale. Mm-hmm. So there are other... Um, important things besides carbon dioxide. So we need to watch um, carbon monoxide is another greenhouse gas. It stays, it's actually more potent when it's in the atmosphere, but it actually doesn't stay in as long. And nitrous oxide is a factor. One of the, the scariest stuff in this regard has thankfully already been addressed, um, is addressed in the 1980s when we moved to address the ozone layer uh, being damaged. I won't get into that, but that stuff. And that's just, the, that's aerosol cans, right? Yep, that stuff can be thousands and thousands of times more effective at trapping heat than carbon dioxide. What about cow, cow farts? People say cow farts. Oh, yeah. So, okay, we'll get into that. So the whole thing of cow farts is cows and other animals will release methane. Things like cows are a factor. They're not the biggest one. The Actually, even within agriculture, when we talk about greenhouse gas emissions in agriculture, one of the larger issues with in terms of meat and and climate change actually has to do with the destruction of carbon sinks. So like clearing out forests to replace it with ranch land mm-hmm. or even just the amount of energy it can take to produce, say, a pound of beef. That's an issue. But really, the biggest contributions in terms of human activity to climate change are actually in other sectors. Mm-hmm. Um, it's in energy production. So fossil fuel combustion, namely. And actually, people don't realize it's actually cement production. Um, I'm sorry, excuse me? Cement production. Okay. Um, cement production, I think, and I could be wrong with this number, this is off the top of my head, is like 18% of the problem. Yeah, it's... And is that just the production of the cement, or is that laying uh, cement everywhere, reflecting the heat and, you know, taking up all kinds of vegetation to lay roads and shit like that? So, if I clear out, um, not a totally mature forest, but I clear out a growing forest and lay down a parking lot, uh, pretty sure there's a song about that. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> Yeah, that's an issue, but actually it's the production of the cement itself. Now, there are different kinds of cement. There are um, alternatives to more classic type of cement that people are worried about. I did um, part of my capstone involved looking at cement production and for my master's, but that's an, that's another story. So, yeah, the cow forest thing is kind of a humorous thing that people talk about. There are other issues besides just the release of methane from cows when we talk about um, agriculture that are a bit more pressing, such as the destruction of carbon sinks, um, such as forests. So is that part of the runaway greenhouse effect that everybody talks about is that you have this um, – the average climate, the average temperature is is rising, which melts the permafrost, which releases more and more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Is this the runaway effect that people are talking about or what is that? That's exactly what people are talking about. It's not just permafrost. There's a few other things that do, that do this, um, but that is exactly what people are talking about is that it gets warm enough – that suddenly things that had previously locked greenhouse gases in place where they wouldn't cause damage, we can't that we can't get the genie back in the bottle. I see. That. Things are starting to make sense now. People say that this shit is fake, man. People say that it's cooling. People say that it's just the politics or politicians playing games with us. People say that, well, like you said earlier, I went outside and it is cold today. What do you mean there's global warming? That's been a running joke for 20 years. What do you say to the conspiracy theorists? All right. So we're going to stick them in three groups um, because I like lists. The first group is people who just 
frankly don't understand the science yet. And when you sit them down, go, oh, look, here's the difference between weather and climate. Um, here's how these things work. It might take them a little bit, but they'll calm down. They'll figure it out. I really don't have a problem with those people. That's just a case of teaching people more about science, which personally, I love opportunities to do that. So that's cool. Now, that brings us to two other groups. First is we need to... We need to Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply to recognize, and this is going to sound conspiracy theory e, but I'm going to preface this with literature reviews on climate change, and there have been several landmark ones done, have demonstrated that approximately 97% of all published academic literature on the topic um, claims that the earth is getting warmer and that we are the cause. Um, so understand that this debate is primarily not in the scientific community. There are a few random holdouts, but they're known and they're not common. The particularly the climate science community overall has been very active now. That now to get into the meat. So the most straightforward answer to resolving climate change is to reduce the combustion of oil, gas, and um, coal. So if I am an oil, gas, or coal company, what I'm going to do is there are two ways I can do this. I can hop on board and go. You know what? There's a certain lifetime to how long I can produce my product. Um, I am going to figure out how to run my company in the future and ways to work around this. To a small extent, um, Shell has taken this view. They haven't been perfect on this issue, but Shell, to their credit, um, at least publicly, has taken this view for a long period of time. ExxonMobil has not. They now say, look, climate change is happening. Humans are causing it. That that's a recent deal. But initially what happened was a lot of these companies took a page out of tobacco's playbook. 
some people might remember there was a big, largely industry-funded debate about whether or not smoking and cigarettes could cause cancer. What would happen was tobacco companies would look for PhDs for hire, essentially, mm-hmm. who they'd pay a large amount of money to go be talking heads on television. And that happens on that happens on other issues um, that's starting to happen over vapes. Actually, I was watching a thing on vaping and that, whatever people want to do with vaping, that's not my issue. Um, but I thought, hey, come on. I, I took a second, Googled who he was. and like, oh, I actually know who this is. I've seen this person claiming that such and such environmental thing isn't real. They're just working on another issue. So essentially what it was is you had a PR campaign run by false, run by the fossil fuel industry. Not all of it, as I said. Um, there were some good actors, but because it, addressing climate change was dangerous to their business model, going after it. Now I'm going to make an important counterpoint here because someone's going to say, well, what about the scientists and money they're getting? I will note, having sat there and ate a lot of ramen um, while being a poor grad student, if somebody was making a ton of money off of climate science, I would have really liked to know because I'm not seeing it. In full disclosure, we are not paying him to be here to talk about global warming or climate change. Just to let you guys know, we are not paying a PhD. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Thank you for that clarification. So we have some bad actors in that space. And it's interesting because there are some people like Linear Crowd who may have more conservative views. My father, personally, is is a conservative person who believes that climate change is an issue that needs to be addressed. I used to be much more conservative than I am now. And the United States is really odd politically in that almost anywhere else in the world, most conservative parties go, okay, this is an issue. Let's figure out how to address it. Um, They may not be as, you know, jumping on the bandwagon on as some other political groups. But it's a different conversation in those places than the United States. The United States... There was very much a hotbed of this big PR war. And um, there was a lot of work, unfortunately, because there are I'm friends with a lot of environmentalists who are registered Republicans or consider themselves conservatives who are very disappointed on this issue. A lot of there are some political operators working for the fossil fuel industry that made it very hard to be a Republican and work on this issue. So you, you said you liked lists and you had a list of three. And I think we only had two. What's the three again? Um, the three lists are people who just don't know enough about the science, mm-hmm. um, the people who are effectively just bad actors working for the fossil fuel industry, and people who they identify maybe as politically conservative um, and think that the conservative position is simply that climate change doesn't exist. And that's, I mean, I don't think you can find a more conservative position than trying to keep the climate the way it is. Um, mm-hmm. So and I'm speaking from an American perspective. So what needs to be done then? And okay, let me frame this question a little bit. We have sure. a couple years ago, there was the Paris Agreement about climate change, Obama, but then Trump comes out of, of the Paris Agreement. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? And what can we do to stop or slow climate change? Sure. First off, we're actually not taking the other Paris Climate Agreement yet. I believe the final date for whether or not we can withdraw is actually after the 2020 election. So that's not set in stone yet. However, to begin with, one is I hate to give a political answer, but we need to put pressure on politicians to say this is an issue. We need to work on it. I actually there's a recent big report that got climate change back in the news. I was an expert reviewer on it. It was a um, it was a report about one point five versus two degrees of warming. So we have to ultimately we can take a lot of individual action, you know, 
drive um, if you're going to drive, you know, drive an electric car or, or a hybrid if you can. Or um, actually, funny enough, if you have an old clunker, try to run that thing into the ground first before you buy a new car. Try to use public transportation. Try to bike. You know, stuff like that. And that stuff's important. That stuff's great. But ultimately, we need to change the system to get it to address this. Mm-hmm. So I I have the view that starts there. The other thing is we need to support research into uh, um, things that can affect us. That is um, alternative energy. That is um, technology that can do things like remove greenhouse gases from the atmosphere. This is one of those issues where it's kind of like, you know what? All of the when you jump into it, and I would recommend your um, listeners check out a great website called Project Drawdown that um, lists about 100 really well-researched, well-developed answers to climate change. Mm-hmm. Once again, that's Project Drawdown. And I, by the way, I have no official affiliation with them. Um, they're a great source to go and get into. Um, I'll also recommend, as a side note, another website called Skeptical Science, which is um, a very, very good um, website in terms of looking at climate change and different arguments and stuff like that. Okay, so this actually now we're into the blockchain aspect of it. We know what climate change is. We know what it's doing. We know how it's being produced. We know what we need to do. Now this gets into not only one of your master's degrees, how do you measure if this stuff works, the solutions that you just told us right here, where you know, basically mm-hmm. cutting carbon out of our, our life or the natural or the fossil fuels or you know you say making stop consuming so damn much for the most part and mm-hmm. then the blockchain is the blockchain a solution for helping you measure if these policies work so it's not a tool for measurement but it can be a part of the solution how all right so first off in terms of measuring um, impacts that's a very well established skill set um, involves um, feels like econometrics um, the nice thing about trying to track um, climate change emissions um, is that it's a skill set that we have built very well. One of the things, though, that we struggle with is setting up things like um, one of the common solutions is creating things like markets. So I might, in order to reduce my emissions over time, create what effectively are permits to pollute. So I might create a market, say, let's say California. They go, all right, we know we can't just shut off our coal or our natural gas as power plants tomorrow. So what we're going to do is over time, we want this reduced and we're going to create a certain number of permits that we're going to initially sell the companies and they can sell amongst each other mm-hmm. or, or to other groups. And there's been a lot of success with this and other issues like um, actually acid rain. For those of you who remember that, um, this was the key program that the acid rain issue or reduced it significantly for the United States. Okay, can we, can we, uh, we have to stop there for a minute. Acid rain. I remember it very clearly, that whole thing. Uh, it was around the 80s. I was a kid, 90s as well. Was that a thing? And what happened to acid rain? Like, did it go away? Was it a conspiracy? I don't know. It's like it, here's here's the problem I think with with some of these these issues is like if they do get dealt with, they're never like talked about again, or they they're trending in the news. So it's like every time you have like, a, and I hate to bring in this example, it's the first one that comes to my head is like there's a mass shooting, right? You or or somebody that gets shot by the police, and then you never hear it about it again. So is there is, is there you know uh, repercussion? Do people go to jail? Do or or how how's the you know the the process coming with you know bringing people to justice? Um, we just never hear about it. Same thing with acid rain. It was there and then it disappeared. What happened? Um, first off, yeah, acid rain was a thing. It's still sort of a thing. Like it's still a thing that we have to um, as a society keep a close eye on. But it was. As an issue, we actually did a really good job of whipping it. Um, so I'm f- from New England, of course, and we, unfortunately, a lot of the acid rain was falling on us. 
And what happened was um, George H.W. Bush, who just passed away, um, in 1990 passed amendments to the Clean Air Act. And in there were uh, market mechanisms, and this is going to get back to blockchain in a second, that were used to deal with pollution and ended up being very, very successful at dealing with them. So that's largely the tale of acid rain. Unfortunately, the question of, all right, how do you keep this in the, in the, um, the imagination of people and the um, and in politics and make this an issue um, and how political capital is generated. That's why I got interested in the policy side. And I realized that science doesn't necessarily have all of the answers to these things, because that is something people struggle with on all sorts of issues, is keeping the public's attention, especially nowadays. And that's just, unfortunately, that's a true thing regardless of what issue you're on, is you can't just rely on a single news story You coming up. You have to kind of work on to make progress as much as, as you can. Mm-hmm. So, so how, I, the blockchain, how does I the blockchain say, fit, fit into this now? How did it fit in with the acid rain and how is it going to fit in with carbon emissions? It didn't fit in with the acid rain. It actually didn't show up in that. But the mechanisms that were used to deal with acid rain, you could put on the blockchain. Okay, which is? So um, I can go ahead and say, all right, I've got a permit. For the sake of jumping the blockchain, we're going to call this permit a token. Mm-hmm. This token um, represents the amount of carbon dioxide I can release in the atmosphere um, from my from my factory. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, everyone knows that what blockchain is, is it's an answer to the um, three generals problem. So it's you know making sure that we're automating the job of the arbiter to make sure that we all do what we're supposed to do at the correct time um, to, in, the, in an ultra simplified way to say it. What I can do is I can automate the process of selling these tokens and keeping track of who owns them between different factories and different groups. I can also utilize smart contracts to automate kind of the carrots and sticks. So I can have something reading. I utilize like an internet things type of approach where if my sensors read that I've released more more um, greenhouse gas than I'm allowed to uh, um, release during a month, I have a smart contract in place that automatically dings me for that. Hmm. Now, it might be a monetary penalty. It might be simply you know a number of strikes before my factory gets closed. But I can I can start using smart contracts to automate the job of keeping things in line. And the other advantage here is, say I have a centralized database, I'm handling all of this. Well, as we've seen with European carbon markets, those databases can get hacked. Mm-hmm. Um, the nice thing about blockchain with, um, and of course it depends on what the security measures we're putting into the chain are, the whole 51% defense is if I have a, if I truly have a decentralized blockchain or I have the permission structure set up in a way where it's just very hard to violate the chain from a cybersecurity perspective, then I can do this in a safer way. Mm-hmm. Really, that's where blockchain comes in is blockchain allows me to take these processes, automate them and reduce the, you know, reduce the, the need for having third parties involved in these markets or at least reduce the cost of having them there. And the other fun thing is, say I do this on, let's say, the Ethereum blockchain. Well, it becomes very easy to rapidly scale solutions. So I could move, so I could, you know, take the California um, greenhouse gas market, use blockchain to run the market, and then go, you know what, I'm going to include Utah now. And it's very easy for me to scale that up. The other thing is, and honestly, I really feel the smart contracts are the thing that, when I get excited about blockchain, smart contracts I get excited for, is there are things called carbon offsets. So you pay me to offset your car, um, the carbon emissions from, say, you know, going on a trip. Let's say you're going to release hypothetically, you know, a ton of um, a ton of greenhouse gas emissions from all of your flights in a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm just throwing a number out there. Well, okay, all right. 
okay, Chris, I'm going to pay you to plant trees in order to absorb up an equivalent amount of carbon. I say, cool. Well, you need to make sure that I actually plant those trees. Otherwise, I could just be swindling you and taking your cash. Well, if we set up a situation with some form of monitoring that allows us uh, for interaction with a smart contract, I can start to try to keep those, those carbon offsets in play, make sure that I actually get the carbon offsets I pay for. Hmm. I know I'm a little all over the place, but I feel as though smart contracts and policy development allow you to relieve a lot of pressure on administrative bodies. And a lot of people have more trust in the system, more trust that rules will be applied equally, more trust that, you know, my family owns a small store. And one of the things, one of the complaints my father would have would be, you know, a big company might get away with something just because they're big and they have political power and he might get the short end of the stick right. because he's small and doesn't have that power. Well, if I'm automating this process, the computer doesn't care if it's a Walmart or a small hardware store, they're going to, it's going to do its job. Right. Right. One of the biggest arguments against Bitcoin and the proof of work system is the amount of energy that it uses to maintain the blockchain. And, a report just came out the other day that said 70% of all the energy used for maintaining the Bitcoin blockchain is renewable, either hydro or solar or a thermal or what have you. Is proof of work really that damaging? So let's look at it. Um, proof of work is highly energy intensive. It's not as efficient as some, um, particularly Bitcoin's proof of work. I think this is pretty well accepted. It's not the most efficient version of that uh, technology. It can be. It's, you know, 70% of it's covered by renewables. Hopefully one day it'll be 100%. We don't really have to worry about it. The question is more, do I want to spend the money on that, paying for that much energy or using that much computing power when I can, you know, invest in other cryptocurrencies that don't or mine other cryptocurrencies that aren't as expensive in terms of energy costs or, or computing power to go through? I, and this is my controversial opinion for the day, um, I am not a personally very excited by Bitcoin. I think it was a great proof of concept for blockchain technology, but I feel as though people attach themselves too much to it or like attach the idea of blockchain too much to it. Blockchain's potential is way more interesting than just digital cash, especially where, you know, people talk about Bitcoin being completely anonymous. I, I run in some circles that, I have to do some of the tracking um, and some dark corners of the internet as part of anti-crime groups and stuff like that. And I'll, I'll tell you, it's not as um, foolproof in terms of anonymity as you'd like to think. Mm -hmm. So on top of it, it's also not actually decentralized. You look at the mining coalitions, it's still not decentralized. I, I'm much more fascinated and excited for um, things that have other utilities beyond just being digital cash. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, like as I'm pushing Ethereum here because that's the one I'm most familiar with. That was the one I personally had invested in for a while. Um, but that's just my take on Bitcoin. Chris, I want to say thank you very much for breaking this down for us from going through what is climate change, what is happening, how it's happening, why people say it's fake, the conspiracy theories, how can we slow or stop it, and how blockchain could help fight climate change. So thank you, sir, for that education. I'm happy to have it. And thank you for speaking with me. Yeah, man. Absolutely. And you just mentioned that you were invested in a little bit of ETH. Tell us about that. Sure. Um, I got a little lucky. I invested in ETH um, right before the 
really big Bitcoin spike. Um, it wasn't a lot of money. I, I just don't have a lot of money. But I was able to make a little bit of cash off of it. I stuck around before it really took a nosedive, um, unfortunately. Um, right now, it's down around 100. I think I left when it was up around 6 or 7. Oh, all right. Uh, when did yeah. you get in? Um, I got in, I want to say, um, September or October of, what was it, 2017? It was before Bitcoin spiked. Okay. And the reason I jumped on ETH over um, Bitcoin was I no- saw that the two were correlated, but I noticed that there was a delay with mm-hmm. ETH. Actually, a, a very good friend of mine um, later pointed out the same thing. He's far more invested and does far better with it than I ever did. But there's a bit of a lag. If, pri- if prices jump for Bitcoin, they're going to take a hot second um, for them to jump for Ethereum and vice versa. Right on, man. Right on. Well, Congratulations on a little bit of profit from from your investment with ETH. And I usually ask general questions, but we're at around 40 minutes already, and I don't want to get too long with this podcast. So I'm just going to ask you the last question of the day. We've already mentioned Big Yellow Taxi in this episode. I'm going to put that in the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist for you. But what other two songs would you like to represent climate change, to fight the climate change, to inspire people to go out there to say, yeah, blockchain technology can be used there? Oh, Oh man, that's that's a great question. Um, well, sorry, let me think for a second. No worries, man. There there aren't many good climate change songs, to be honest with you. However, Tracy Chapman's all pretty awesome. So let's see, what's a good Tracy Chapman song? We're talking about a revolution by Tracy Chapman's always a good option. Okay. And then because uh, that that fits climate change, that fits um, blockchain, that works well. And then. You know what? I'll throw out a weird one just because it's a cool song. I think people should listen to it. Kakate Kuyo um, by Nakamura Emi is a really fun song in Japanese. If you just want to listen to something that's fun, you can kind of turn your um, turn your mind off. <laughs> All right, man. We'll put those on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist. Brother Chris, thank you very much for coming on the show and talking about climate change and the blockchain. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Chris, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. And if you want my opinions or commentary, please go to Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron on YouTube. In our next episode, we have Mimble Wimble 101. What is it? Everybody talks about it. You see it all on crypto Twitter. And in our next episode, we're going to find out. And before we go, like always, I want to say happy holidays, happy new year, and ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news, and Helen, thank you very much for editing this episode. Happy 2019, everyone, and we'll see you next episode of Crypto 101. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.